Well, good morning, church. Good morning. I don't know about you, but um, in my walk with Christ, there's moments. I don't know if you have moments. Do you anybody have any moments where, I mean, you sense him, feel him like you've never had before at different moments? And I feel like the worship moment we just had was one of those moments for me. As we sing that there is no rival, there is no equal. I don't know if you really believe that this morning. I hope you do. It came out of your mouth, right? Hope you do. In fact, as I was sitting there, as we were singing that, I guess this thought dawned on me. I wonder if there's ever a moment that Jesus himself tells the angels of heaven, hey, just be quiet for a moment. You hear my children? Do you hear what they're saying this morning? Do you hear what they're declaring this morning? That there's nobody like me. And I hope you meant that from the bottom of your heart because there is no rival. There is no equal. And as we go through God's word here in a moment, everything you need, everything you're longing for is found in the person and the work of Jesus. And we want you to know that out of the front this morning. All right? So we're glad you're here. My name's Doug. I'm the East Campus Pastor. And we are here about one thing this morning, and that's to lift up the name of Jesus. And if the church, if you believe that, would you shout amen this morning? Amen. amen. So today we're going to wrap up our series called Reset, and we've been talking about this since the beginning of the year, and kind of the, the purpose behind this, as Kent was talking about, was that we would look at some areas of our lives spiritually where maybe we need to hit the reset button. Maybe that's the focus of our lives. Maybe we focused on the urgent instead of the important things. Maybe that is the inputs in our life. We need to look at what are things we're allowing to be input into our lives, and the reality is the thing we need most, we all have. It's God's Word, and we looked at why we shouldn't put God's Word. It's because it's powerful, it's priceless, and it's profitable for all of us. And the last week we talked about maybe one of the areas we need to hit the reset button is our investments. Where are we expending our time, our energy, and our resources? And we talked about that, and we said, okay, we want to help you with that. We want to help you take some right steps. And so maybe you're expending your time and, and energy in places you don't. So well, how, do we, how do we change that? Well, we commit to serve the Lord. And we said there's a, there's a form out front there, a connection table called a place to serve. If you want to expend your time in eternal things, not earthly things, serve the Lord. And then we talked about how are you expending your, your, your investments, your, your finances. And one thing that Ken talked about, which is true, we don't give to the Lord to get. We give because he's already given to us. We give because out of the overflow and the abundance of our hearts. And as a church, we will never back down and we will never apologize that we as a body of believers want to be faithful to give to the Lord because he is quite frankly worth it. Amen? Amen. Hope you believe that this morning. Not today. We're talking about one other area that we need to hit the reset button on. And maybe that's the area of our desires. Now, if I could sit down with all of us in the room and have a conversation at one time, which would be kind of chaotic, but if we could do that, one thing I know is true about probably all of us in the room, every single one of us have an underlying desire. We all want to be great. Like, I, you know, right now, um, you know, I play on a softball team, and uh, as I play on the softball team, every time I run a base, every time I come at bat, every time I catch a ball, all I can remember is my used-to-could years, because my body doesn't function like it used to. Anybody else like that? I mean, I'm saying go, and it's saying no, and so, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so, I, I, that moment, of like, in high school and in college, like, I mean, I had this so desire to be great, and I think all of us intuitively have that desire to be great. But the question is, great for who? Who do you want to be great for? And quite frankly, most importantly, what does greatness look like? How do I get there? 
So if you have your Bibles, I want to look at Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10. We're going to be reading in verse 35 through 45. So once again, if you don't mind, stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. I heard some groans there. You'll be okay, I promise. You get to sit down in a moment. Here's what the word of God says. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, talking about Jesus, and they said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, this sounds like teenagers talking to their parents, right? Right? I want you to do whatever we ask of you. And so he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us to set one at the right hand and one at the left hand in your glory. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism in which I am baptized, you also will be baptized. But to sit in my right hand or to my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the tent heard it, they began to become indignant with James and John. Sure they did. And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will you want to be great among you, you must be what? A servant. And whoever wants to become first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this passage. May you help us see it in the way that you want to see it this morning, God. May you open our eyes to the truth of your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, may be seated. Now, as you look at this passage... There are really four things I kind of just want to pull out of the passage I want us to know, especially as we ask the idea, what does it mean to be great? Now, if you were to ask an athlete, they could give you some ideas of what it means to be great. You could ask, I mean, n- name who you think the greatest basketball player ever was. Everybody said Michael Jordan. Wow. Okay. So if you were to ask, okay, who's the greatest golfer ever? You're like, I shouldn't say this out loud. We're in church. It's Tiger Woods, right? But if you were to study what these guys' regimen were, just because they were great in sport doesn't mean they have any moral compass at all. Okay, so let's, let's put that to the side. But if you were to look at great athletes, their workout regimen and their practice regimen would have been off the chart, would it not? And so there's something about the world that says to be great requires performance. And so Jesus addresses this idea of greatness with his disciples. And I want you to go back with me. Look at me in verse 35. Look at the the request that James and John make from Jesus. They say this. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever you want for us, whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Here's what they said. When we get to heaven... We want to set one at your right and one at your left. Now, if Jesus is the focus of heaven, and he is, he's like, we want everybody to see us too. Now, can you understand why the other 10 disciples weren't really happy with James and John at this point? Now, what they're talking about, you're like, what's the whole idea about right hand and left hand and sitting beside Jesus? Listen, what they're referring to is something that we don't understand in today's culture, but it was something that was very prevalent back then. It's the idea of table fellowship. So when a person brought people into their home, when they invited you into their home, the head of the household would sit down, and whoever sat to his right and whoever sat to his left, they were viewed as seats of honor and greatness. 
So he's saying, listen, Jesus, when we get to heaven, when we sit down, we want to be beside you. We want everybody to know that we are great. So would you make sure, Jesus, that that happens, that when we get there and everybody sees us, they know that we have the seats of honor. That's what they're asking for. And I love Jesus because, you know, Jesus responds in such a unique ways. I mean, if you and I were Jesus, not assuming we are, but if we were, how would you respond to that? You know what they're asking for is loaded with arrogance, right? You do know that, right? How would you respond to that? Harshly? Would you rebuke them? Would you be hard on them? But look what Jesus does. Look, look at Jesus. Second thing is the request. Now I want you to look at the response in verse 38. Look what he says. I love this. You do not know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? Jesus' response to them is, uh, you, 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 know, uh, you don't know what you're asking. You want to be great, but the truth of the matter is what you're asking. You don't know what that entails. Now, the word know here means to be perceived with the eyes. And here's what he's saying is, you want to be great. You're asking to be great, but what you're asking, you have no idea the implication of that. See, your understanding of great and my understanding of great is not the same understanding. See, for you, greatness, listen, church, for you, greatness is all about position. But that's not greatness for me. Hey, listen, you don't know what you're asking. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, you don't know what you're asking. He says, goes on to say, but can you drink the cup that I drink? And can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to have? He says, are you able? Listen, you don't know what you're asking. You have no idea what you're asking. But here's the thing. I'm going to drink a cup, and I'm going to be baptized in some things, and are you able to deal with what I'm going to have to deal with? Now, what is Jesus talking about, this whole cup issue and this whole baptism issue? Well, what was the cup that Jesus was going to eventually drink? It was the cup of suffering, right? It was the cup of suffering. What was the baptism he was going to experience? He's not talking about John's baptism of Jesus. He's talking about being submersed and immersed into uh, those that would come along him, and they would mistreat him, they would ridicule him, they would rebuke him. And what he's saying is, guys, listen, you want to be great. I get it. But greatness for you is all about position and power. But that's not greatness to me. And if you want to be great, here's my question for you. Are you, because obviously they think Jesus is great. Are you able to do what I do? Can you drink my cup? Can you be baptized? In other words, are you willing to suffer for me? And are you willing to do with the ridicule and the rebuke of all the people that they're going to throw at you? You really don't know what you're asking. Have you ever had a moment like that with your kids? They ask you something, and you're like, you have no idea what you're asking. That was this moment. And then I love the disciples' response. These two guys obviously may not be the sharpest tools in the shed, right? Because Jesus just laid out for them, you know, you don't know what you're asking. So let's just stop there for a moment. If Jesus tells you you don't know what you're asking or talking about, would that give you room to pause and go, maybe I need to rethink this? Sure it should, right? But not these guys. I mean, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking because I'm going to drink a cup and I'm going to experience this baptism and you are going to have to experience it too. Do you sure you know what you're asking? Can you handle the adversity and the suffering that's going to come your way? And look what they say here in verse 39. I love this. Verse 39, the very first phrase. And they said to him, what? We're able. We got it. We got it. 
We got this covered, Jesus. Now, I have, to, I have to give them a little sympathy here, because if you think about it for a moment, why in the world would they be so eager to go, we hear what you're saying, but yes, we can. It's because up to this point, if you look at the Gospel of Mark and trace it back to Matthew and Luke as well, you would find that up to this point, mostly what the disciples had seen was the good side of following Jesus. They'd seen Jesus heal people, raise the dead, perform miracles, cast out demons. Yeah, they'd faced a little adversity, but nothing like what was coming. So up to this point, they're like, hey, it hasn't been that bad. Jesus has done all this cool stuff. He's done all these miracles. I mean, he cast out demons and put them into pigs. I mean, that was pretty cool. And yeah, we face a few religious leaders that didn't like us and they wouldn't plot against us. But at the end of the day, it's just not been that bad. We got it, Jesus. See, they had no idea the cup of suffering that was going to come his way. They had no idea the ridicule, the rebuke that he was going to face for being the Son of God. So Jesus does something fascinating, realizing and understand. Look at me at the very end of verse 39, because now Jesus foreshadows what's going to happen. They said, we, we are able, and then it says this, the, Jesus says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Now, what is Jesus saying? Okay, ready? If you want to be great, that's fine. But my story and your story are going to be the same. So the story of my life is going to be the story of your life. Now, we know that was true, don't we? We know that in the book of Acts chapter 12, John was the first martyr for the faith. We know, I mean, James. Now, we know John was exiled and boiled at Patmos as a follower of Christ. We know that many of the first disciples were martyred for their faith. So we know what Jesus is saying is true. Jesus foreshadowed and said, listen guys, you want to be great? Awesome. But I just want you to know, you are going to drink the cup I'm drinking, and you are going to be baptized with the baptism that I'm experiencing. You are going to be suff- you're going to suffer, and you are going to ultimately, ultimately face the greatest ridicule and rebuke you've ever faced in your life. It's coming your way. Now, just for a moment. Now, how many of you want to be great based on that? See, the point is, these guys made this crazy request. Hey, we want to sit in your right hand and left hand. We want to be viewed as great. Jesus goes, fine, but you have no idea what you're asking for. You have no idea that to be great, the suffering you've got to endure, to be great, the ridicule that you're going to have to face, you guys have missed it. And so he foreshadows it for them. But then let me notice a third thing with me. Then he gives them the recipe. They want to know what it means to be great. Now, Jesus lays out the recipe in verse 41. Look what he says. And when the 10 heard it, they began to become indignant with James and John, obviously, And then Jesus called them to him and he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be a servant and whoever would be first may become slave to all. Here's what Jesus does. He says, listen, I hear your question and he responds to the question, but then he offers the recipe how to be great. And I love what Jesus does here. Jesus compares the world's version and his version, and he lets them know what real greatness looks like. He says, okay, in the world you live in, greatness is position and is power. Is that the same thing true today? Come on, is that same thing true today? Let's just be honest. If you're the CEO of Apple, do you have position and power in America? Do you have it? You do. 
You just do. It's the same world we live in today. And Jesus says, listen, the world you function in has, is all about greatness, and it's all about the position they have, the power they have. And then guess what they do with the power? He says it here, they like to lord it over people. Now, come on. Surely you've had a boss in your life. They probably couldn't walk and chew gum very good. And they were above you, and they let you know they were above you in the food chain. You know what I'm talking about? And they like to lord it over you. They would name drop, or they would play the card of them being your supervisor all the time. Anybody have an employer like that? So you are the employer we're talking about, right? Right? You probably had somebody like that in your life, right? Drew, you raise your hand, you're fired. Okay, so... By the way, Drew, I'm the pastor. No, I'm just kidding. So, so, right, you know people like that, right? And so Jesus basically said, hey, listen, the, the way the world works is it, if you want, if you want uh, to be great, it's about power and it's about position. And then Jesus says something fascinating. He says, but that's not true in my kingdom. My kingdom, listen, is an upside-down kingdom. See, to be great in my kingdom has nothing to do with power. It has nothing to do with position. You want to be great in my kingdom? You really want to be great, James and John? Yeah, 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 yeah. Look what he says. Verse 43 again. He says, whoever would be great among you must first be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be a slave to all. You want to be great? Yeah, yeah, Jesus. Okay, here's what you got to do. First of all, you got to be a servant to everybody. You want to be great? You got to become the least. You want to be great? you got to serve other people. What does it mean to serve other people? The Greek word here, and I love this, one of my favorite Greek words. I know you don't care anything about Greek, but you need to understand it. It's the word diakonos. It's made up of two uh, compound words in the Greek. It's dia, D-I-A, and konos, K-O-N-O-S. And dia means through, and konos means dust. It's the word we get the English word. Can you might guess? Deacon. Diakonos is the English word Deacon. And what it means to serve is this, is that when you serve, it's dirty, it's untimely, it's inconvenient, it costs you something, but that's what it means to, to serve. It's through dust. I don't know about you, but sometimes I love serving, but sometimes I don't really want to get my hands dirty. Anybody else like that? That's not really having a heart to serve, is it? See, says, if you want to be great, James and John, wonderful. Be a servant to all. Oh, not only be a servant, you just pick up the second thing he said, not only be a servant of all, but take on the nature of a slave. That word slave here is the Greek word doulos, and it means one who has no right to refuse. In other words, because I'm a slave to Christ, that my actions are a reflection of my devotion and my loyalty to him. So I serve others because I'm committed the Christ. Hey, you want to be great? I want you to be great. But here's what it takes. Now, why was Jesus pointing this out? Because Jesus wanted them to understand something. And I encourage you to write this down. It's not in your listening guide, but this is so important. He wanted them to know that greatness is not about position. Greatness is about the posture of your heart. Did you hear that this morning, church? Greatness has nothing to do with power and position. It has everything to do with the posture of your heart. And by posture, I mean, are you, do you have a heart to serve? And is your desire to serve and put others' needs ahead of your needs, their priorities above your interests, is that desire a reflection of your loyalty and devotion to Christ? 
Here's the recipe. You want it? You want to be great? Be a servant out of your devotion to me. Because greatness is not about posture. I mean, about position. It's about posture. And then there's one more thing I want you to notice with me. And this is, this is just so Jesus right here. The last thing I want you to notice is the recognition. We've seen, we've seen the request, the response, the recipe, and now we see Jesus' recognition. Look at me, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, guys, even I came to be a servant. Now think about that for a moment. The creator of the universe, the savior of the world, the one who spoke the world into existence, said, I have entered time and space and a human body. I have entered this world not to be served, but to what? To serve. That's what I've come to do. And we know where his ultimate service led to, don't we? We know that him serving ultimately led to a sacrifice, right? That Jesus would die on a cross. He would take the punishment for our sin. He would pay our ransom. Why? Because he simply loves you. Now, what I love about this is, is here's what Jesus is saying. He says, guys, I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't already modeled for you. Now, think about that. How many of you grew up in a household where you're probably your dad, not your mom, said something like this? Don't do what I do, but do what I say. Anybody experience that? Come on, come on. How many teenagers heard your parents say that? Let's be honest. Okay, no, I've never said it, David. Don't raise your hand, okay? Right, right? We've heard that, right? What are they saying when they say that? Hey, listen, it doesn't matter what you see me do. Do what I'm telling you to do because that's the right thing to do. Well, if it's the right thing to do, shouldn't you be doing it too? And Jesus says, listen, you want to be great? Here's what it means. Be a servant and be devoted and loyal to me. And Jesus says, listen, I'm not asking you to do something I haven't already done. I came into this world to be a servant. I came in this world. And like, we know that's true. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that Paul says that, that he understood that equality with God was not something to be grasped. So he humbled himself and took on the very nature of a servant. And John chapter 13, what did Jesus do? He got on his knees, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed their feet. That was the role of slaves in the day. And so Jesus did the very thing he's asking them and you and I to do. He is our model. Jesus is like, listen guys, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I haven't modeled for you. In fact, when he was done washing their feet in John chapter 13, do you remember what he said? As I've done this for you, go and do for somebody else. As I've served you, go serve somebody else. Now, I just want you to think about this passage for a moment, because we all want to be great, don't we? But think about their request. Think about Jesus' response, like, you don't know what you're asking. Think about the recipe. Okay, if I want to be great, if Doug wants to be great, it's filled not with position, it's not filled with power, it's filled with the posture a posture of serving and being totally loyal and devoted to Christ. Was Jesus loyal to the mission that he was sent for? Yes. All the way to the cross. He modeled it for us. Now, as we look at this passage, there's two takeaways I want you to have this me this morning. Here's the first one. Did you notice that Jesus never rebuked them for wanting to be great? Did you notice that? He said, you know what you're asking, but he never said you should not pursue that. There's nothing wrong with you and I pursuing greatness. The question is, who do we want to be great for? 
You want to be great for your name and your renown? Or do you want to be great for his name and his renown? Who do you want to be great for? Second takeaway is this, is that Jesus corrected their wrong thinking about greatness. He wanted them to be reminded that serving others, if you want to be great, it's filled with about serving others out of the devotion that we have to him. So this morning, if you want to be great, you now know what that means. And so today, as we wrap up this series called Reset, I want to share a little something with you. That as we think about this, I was reading this last week. There's a song we're going to sing in a moment, and, and I was listening to the song, and I began reading some, some passages in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 in particular, and it's a story of where John writes to the church of Ephesus, and he makes this statement. He says, man, I have, you've done all these things good, but here's what I hold against you. You have forsaken what? Your first love. Why do we need to reset our lives? To get our life back in rhythm with our first love. Maybe some of us have lost that first love, and so we have a bad focus. Maybe we're putting the wrong things into our lives. Maybe we're investing in things that aren't eternal, but they're just earthly. Maybe we have the wrong desires of what greatness means. But this morning, I want to challenge you. Would you commit to your first love again? Would you say, Lord, I've walked away from you. I've done life on my own. I pursued things I shouldn't have pursued. But today, my heart, it belongs to you again, Lord. Today, I want to declare that you are my first love. And because you're my first love, my desire is to be great for your name and for your noun. My desire is for you to open my eyes so that I can see the people around me and the needs that they are having so that I can step in and meet those needs. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, listen, would you just come back to your first love? In a moment, we're going to open this altar up. And if you're like Doug, man, you let life take you away sometimes from your first love. Would you just make a new commitment to him? Would you say, Lord, as, as I come back to you as my first love, these are the four areas I need to reset in my life. And I'm committing to do those things, Lord. And as I do those things, I want you to open my eyes to people I can serve. I want you to open my heart so that I can be great for you, not for me. In fact, may we have the attitude of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, let, let your light so shine before men that people may see your good works and praise who? Your Father in heaven. If you're a believer, I hope that's what you want to do this morning. And if you don't know Christ this morning, this whole passage is about one statement. When Jesus says, I've not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Where did Jesus' service lead? To the cross. Because he loves you. And all you have to do is receive that gift. So right now, I'm going to ask you right where you're at. Would you all stand with me? If you would, everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment. Let's all stand together. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I just want to talk, first of all, to maybe that person. I can't see very far back, but just that person that maybe you're here, and you've never received the gift of Christ. You've never surrendered to a personal relationship with him. But if you're here this morning, you know that, and you know that he loves you, and you know that he died on the cross for you, and you're ready to ask him to forgive your sin and be the Lord of your life, would you just slip your hand up, put it right back down? I'm just going to pray for you. I, don't, I won't call your name out, I promise, but just put your hand up, put it right back down. Amen. I see a hand or two. And if you want to do that, it's as simple as this, saying, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. 
And I believe with everything in me that you died on the cross for me. And I ask you to forgive me my sins. And be the boss and master of my life. And man, if you'll pray that, and it can't be my words, it's got to be the cry of your heart this morning. The Bible says, whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means if you pray that, if you surrender your life to him, your name is now written in the book of life, and you will spend forever with him in heaven when you leave this world. Now for the believer. If you're here this morning and you would say, Doug, I want to be honest and say that I've struggled staying madly in love with my first love, which is Jesus, and I need to make a new commitment to him. Would you just kind of put your hand up? I'm going to pray for you too. Yeah, I've been there. I get it. Man, amen. See hands all around the room. If you need to do that, this altar is going to be open. Maybe you just need to get alone with you and your heavenly father and say, Lord, I love you. Maybe you haven't said that in a while. But Lord, I love you. You are my first love. You're my first love over my kids. You're my first love over my spouse. You're my first love over my parents, Lord. Jesus, you are my first love, and I want to live my life accordingly. And believers, if you want to be great, it begins with having a posture of serving. Does that sound like you? If not, would you make a new commitment to the Lord? God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for this series. God, this has been good for me. I don't know about anybody else in the room, but it has challenged me to evaluate my focus, evaluate the input of your word into my life, to evaluate the investments that I'm making, to evaluate my desire to be great. God, I want to be great. And the world would say and send me the message, oh yeah, you should desire to be a great preacher. You should desire to be a great pastor. God, I just want to be a great follower of Jesus to make much of you. That's what I want, Lord. And I pray as believers in the room that that would be our desire, that we would reconnect to you, our first love. And we would say, Lord Jesus, we want to be great for you. We want to live in such a way that we point people to you. So God, would you just convict us this morning? Would you just challenge us only as you can? And will we be faithful to respond to you? For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Now this morning, if you're that person that said yes to Christ, you received a blue handout when you came in with a response card at the bottom, or there's one at the connection table, would you take a moment and fill it out and say, today, I said yes to Jesus. I want to talk to you about that. Man, there's no greater news than that. There's, that is the best news in this world is the decision you made. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make because it's the only one that affects your eternity. But if you're a believer and you need to reconnect to your first love and you need to hit the reset button on some of those areas of your life, these steps that we're going to call an altar is open. And maybe you just need to get alone with your Heavenly Father and say, Lord, I love you. And let him do a work in your life. However the Lord leads you, let's be faithful to respond as the band leads us.